The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to FAPC.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter, beginning at the 21st verse. Listen now for the word of God. Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today is the fourth Sunday in the season of Epiphany, that season during which the light of Christ shines forth in the world and the world begins to discern just who Jesus is. But the truth of the matter is, the four different gospel writers, like four different witnesses to an exciting and unexpected event, all have different perspectives on who Jesus is. And if you want a clue as to who Jesus is in each of the Gospels, biblical scholars tell us, look and see what Jesus' very first action is in that Gospel. In the Gospel of Matthew, for instance, the very first thing Jesus does in his ministry is he gives the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, for Matthew, is the consummate teacher, the giver of the new law. Like Moses before him, Jesus will guide the people in the way of God's truth. In the Gospel of Luke, on the other hand, Jesus' first act is to give a sermon in his hometown of Nazareth, in which he tells the hometown folk that the Spirit of God rests upon him, that God has sent him to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of God's jubilee. Who is Jesus in Luke? Jesus is the great liberator who will lift up the oppressed, cast down the mighty, fill the hungry with good things. In John's gospel, Jesus' first public act is to turn gallons of water into the finest wine at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. 
Who then is Jesus for John? Well, Jesus is the one who brings abundance, abundant life, abundant joy, abundant grace. Jesus incarnates God's abundance. And then today we turn to Mark's gospel, which was actually the first of the gospels to be written. And what is Jesus's first public act in Mark's gospel? Jesus goes to the synagogue in Capernaum and he starts teach it, teaching and he is interrupted by a man who has an unclean spirit. The spirit mocks Jesus. Jesus then confronts the spirit saying, be silent, come out of him. And everyone who sees the spirit leave this man is positively amazed and says, who is this who commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him? Who is Jesus in Mark's gospel? Jesus is an exorcist one who goes around the countryside crossing boundaries in order to be with untouchable people who are sick or haunted by unclean spirits, healing them, freeing them, casting out their demons. No less than 13 times does Jesus heal people in the Gospel of Mark, and four of those are exorcisms. Now, exorcisms are not something we talk a great deal about in Presbyterian church circles. They call to mind horrific scenes from those old movies like The Exorcist or Rosemary's Baby, where heads spin on bodies, eyes roll back in heads, and priests wield crosses to ward off the evil spirits. But unclean spirits in scripture were of a different ilk, I think. Sometimes in the ancient world, they referred to unexplained illnesses of the body or mind that threatened to overwhelm a person and cause them harm. Sometimes they referred to something that drove a person toward violence or spiteful actions. They often referred to anything that held a person captive and incapable of living a whole free life in this world. Whatever they were in scripture, evil spirits, unclean spirits, were antithetical to God's Holy Spirit. Yet when Jesus saw people with unclean spirits, he did not shy away from them or avoid them or become afraid of them. Instead, Jesus interacted with them as he did with this man's spirit. Jesus confronted them and ultimately Jesus cast them out and freed the formerly possessed person to become all God had created him or her to be. Buddy Ennis is a retired Presbyterian pastor who spent much of his life serving churches in Georgia. He tells the story of an Advent season in his ministry when he was pastoring a large downtown church in Atlanta and got word from his assistant that there was a man who had walked in off the street and wanted to see Pastor Ennis. He rather expected to see a homeless person in need of food or financial assistance. He told the assistant to bring the man into his office. The man, he reports, was not what I had expected. He was neatly dressed, clean-shaven, late 20s, 
There was an air of dignity about him. Sorry to take your time, the man said, but I just want your blessing. The man went on to say that he had this devil on his back that he could not shake. As much as he tried, he couldn't get rid of it, and he thought that if he could just find a minister who would bless him, the devil would go away. The pastor, Pastor Ennis, ended up praying with and for this man whose name was Andy. He thanked God for Andy's for, for, for God's presence in Andy's life. He affirmed God's continuing purpose and concern for Andy. He asked that God would take away this devil that was preventing Andy from being the kind of person God wanted him to be. Andy then left the office thanking the pastor. Pastor Ennis concludes the story with these words. I have often wondered about Andy and whether my feeble little effort at an exorcism worked. I wonder, too, if Jesus ever did follow-ups on his own miraculous work. I wonder, have you, like Andy, ever had a devil on your back who kept you from being all you were created to be? An addiction, perhaps, that kept you enslaved to drugs or alcohol or some other substance in a way that was unhealthy and unsafe and that caused you and others harm. A temper you were unable to control, rage that lashed out in others in ways that cut them down rather than building them up. Or a tongue that you seemed incapable of controlling. The book of James warns us that an unleashed tongue is like a ship without a rudder and can cause irreparable damage. Unclean spirits not only live in individuals, they take up residence in groups and in structures that work to keep people oppressed. I have recently been reading Isabel Wilkerson's incredibly sobering book about racism in America entitled Cast. In it, Wilkerson not only demonstrates how deeply entrenched racism is in our country, but how our own racist ways as American actually became models for Hitler and leaders of the Third Reich for how to keep the Jews subjugated in Germany. Is it too much to suggest giving the ongoing acts of violence against people of color, giving the inequalities of justice we see meted out in our prison system, given the rise of haste, racist hate groups in our land, that we are still a demon-possessed people, haunted by a racist past we have never fully acknowledged or repented from, a people perhaps in desperate need of an exorcism. Just look at the forces that led ordinary citizens to take siege of our Capitol building while hurling hateful racial epithets, waving Confederate flags, threatening our elected representatives, beating Capitol Police with pipes while claiming it was done in the name of God. 
As I sat at home that day watching our own citizens threatening the very fabric of our democracy, I confess that the word demonic was not far from my own mind. And when we are up against forces like these, forces that are entrenched and widespread and incredibly dangerous, what do we do? How do we get rid of them when they are so much bigger, so much more powerful than we are? One of the sad realities for me during this past year with COVID is that I lost both of my beloved parents within two days of each other. They were 99 and 92 respectively, so they had lived good long lives. I was extremely fortunate to have had them in my life as long as I did. While they did not die of COVID directly, they were among the many elderly people in our land who have suffered greatly from the isolation COVID has brought and who I think finally gave up their wills to live. We celebrated their lives at a memorial service on what would have been their 70th wedding anniversary last July. Recently, as a way to remember them, I have been watching a video of an interview I undertook with my mom and dad almost 20 years ago while we sat on the porch of a house in Montreat, North Carolina, that Presbyterian Conference Center that was a favorite gathering place of my family for years. As I asked my parents questions about their early courtship and marriage, they reminisced. They reminisced about their courtship and marriage, about the birth of their first child, voila, on their first wedding anniversary, and about their experiences in the first church my dad served as pastor and my mom as a volunteer organist in a town in South Carolina in the early 1950s. As they talked about this small blue-collar church, mostly comprised of mill workers, they told stories of people whose lives had literally been turned around during their ministry there. People who had formerly been violent or abusive. People who had been flagrantly breaking their marriage vows. People who had been estranged from or hostile toward the church. But who, when they turned their lives over to Christ and Christ's transforming power, had been changed. My dad talked about kneeling in a cornfield with a difficult neighbor and praying for him right there, and how he eventually became a deacon in their church. My mom told about making a commitment to pray for just five people every day, and recounted how stunned she was when a couple who had been on that five-person prayer list showed up on their doorstep some months later to testify to my mom and dad how their marriage had been miraculously transformed. At one point in this interview, my mother turned to my dad and she said, you know, Jim, I think we did more good in that place than anywhere else in our lives. Clearly, they were both astonished at the good works God had wrought in that place. For though they probably wouldn't have named them as such, my parents witness some exorcisms.
Friends, my suspicion is that Jesus is just as capable of performing exorcisms today as he was two millennia ago. I don't pretend that he cast out every demon he encounters, for I, like you, have known wonderful people who have wrestled with demons their whole lives and not been liberated from them this side of heaven. I also don't pretend that all exorcism take place instantly, as seems to have been the case in Capernaum. Sometimes it takes a while for demons to be cast out, many months in a 12-step program, many years of therapy with hard emotional and spiritual work many meetings and discussions and public protests to root out and confront systematic injustice. But I think the point of Mark's gospel is that when we confront unclean spirits in our lives, it is Jesus, not the demon, that has the ultimate authority in our lives. It is Jesus, God's own self incarnate, who can say to the demons, be silent, come out of him, come out of her, come out of them. It is in Jesus that we are called to put our ultimate trust when we sense that demon riding our backs, casting ourselves upon God's mercy and praying for deliverance. Several years ago, I was having a visit with an elderly woman I have known for many years when she startled me with a revelation. To put this in a proper context, I need to tell you that this woman was one of the finest Christians I ever knew, a person of deep faith and constant prayer and the kind of wisdom and generosity of spirit that only comes from walking closely with God. But this particular day, she was in distress. Nora, she said, I've been reflecting on my life during my early morning prayer time, and I have come to the realization that I am a racist. I listened to her as she went on to confess the things that she was uncovering in her life that convinced her this was so and how troubling they were to her. So she said, I'm going to start playing, praying for God to heal me. I want to be healed of this racist spirit, and I would appreciate it if you would pray for me too. I confess I was pretty incredulous at hearing these words from this particular woman. I knew of her good works over the span of many years, of her courageous stand for church integration during her young adulthood in the segregated South, of her years of Bible teaching that often focused on our calling to love our neighbor and especially our black and brown neighbors as ourselves, of her tireless work in helping establish an inner city tutoring an after-school program for at-risk children in the city where she lived. But since it was clear she was greatly troubled that day, I promised I would pray for her. I frankly don't know if my friend ever felt like her demon was exercised. We did not speak of this day again. 
But from her that day, I learned two incredibly important things. First of all, she taught me that even the most faithful, the best among us, even those need to examine our lives deeply to confess whatever it is within us that keeps us from being all God wants us to be and to pray for the exorcism of the devils that may be lurking on our backs. None of us is too good to do so. And the second thing that she, an octogenarian, taught me that day was, it's never too late in life to do so. Jesus loves us, just as he loved that man in that synagogue of Capernaum. Jesus wants healing for us, just as he wanted it for that dear man. Jesus wants us to be able to be all we were created to be. And as this story from Mark's gospel powerfully reminds us, only Jesus has the power to command the unclean spirits and have them obey him. So, dear friends, examine and pray for yourselves. No matter what your age and stage in life, that the devils on your back might be cast out in Jesus' name. Pray for one another as Pastor Ennis prayed for Andy and confessed to one another the unclean spirits you carry within. And pray for our nation, that the God who brought healing to that man of Capernaum so long ago may also exercise from us all unclean spirits of hatred and violence and prejudice that are tearing us apart as a people and are deeply hurting the most vulnerable in our midst. Let us pray to Jesus, the exorcist, for the deliverance of us all. Amen. Go now into the world, trusting anew in Christ, who alone has the power to cast out the unclean spirits that keep us from becoming all God created us to be. And as you go, may the grace of God, the love of Jesus Christ, and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.